When a friend or family member turns their back on God and is walking in sin, how do you respond? A real friend tells a friend the truth. When you don't tell your friend the truth, then what kind of friend really are you? And the erring person needs to be confronted. Don't think of confrontation as something bad and screaming, yelling, pounding, not, nothing like that. You just need to have a face-to-face -face conversation and say what you're doing isn't right. What you're involved in isn't right. And so what happens, if you don't approach someone with the truth, then you get caught up in gossip. You get caught up in them defending their erring ways. You get caught, and before you know it, they've brought you into the web of their own compromise. And there you are standing there with your mouth closed, but yet you know the truth. Something changed, and it wasn't you. This is amazing grace. You can probably think of someone right now that you haven't seen at church in years, or maybe you know that they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, the world would tell you, let them be. It's none of your business. The Lord wants to use you to help restore them. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn how to be caring and loving in our approach to those who have wandered away. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in James chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 2. We haven't answered it yet in our series on backsliding. I mean, we have to some degree, but who are backsliders? Who are exactly backsliders? If you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of options. Because, you know, I think we're, we ask the question, we get in, we, when we're talking to something like this, it's very easy to get all theological. And let's make it a big theological argument. Why don't we? Because what system of belief do we have? And were they saved or were they not saved? And are you eternally saved or not eternally saved? And then before you know it, you're arguing about things theologically, some theological argument, and you're not even caring about the lost. You want to figure out who they are first before. Don't worry about whether they're saved, unsaved. Don't worry about that. Just go get them. Just go get them. Have a heart for them. Well, you don't understand that. We need to have it right theologically tied up. No, no, you, you actually don't. Because their relationship with God is between God and them. Just go get them. Love them. Take care of them. You know, don't show up, to a, don't show up and find somebody who's been wandering. Well, you know, uh, what, what, and you give them a, like a checklist. Have you done this? Have you done this? I don't, and just, just go love on people that you know haven't been around for a while. Maybe your own family and friends. But consider this. Number one, I think James has three types of sheep in mind here. Number one, truly lost sheep what we would refer to today as unbelievers. Because not everybody in a church service is saved. Not everybody that is listening to a Bible study has a real relationship with God. So there are truly lost people that we need to go. And, and Isaiah describes it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so sometimes we don't even look at the term backsliding. They're just straying away. They're lost. Number two, I think that Another group of people that can be referred to here is what I would call deceived sheep. Deceived sheep. These are those that look like they, know, they knew the Lord, but have strayed away and have never really known him at all. They walk away from Jesus because the reason is simply they never really knew him to begin with. They attended church, 
they read their Bible, but they never fully or completely or willingly surrendered their lives to Jesus. They were religious and kept religious rituals, but are also in the category of not being saved. You could call them cultural Christians or social Christians, but you can't call them real believers. But again, they've strayed away even from how close they were, how close they were to true salvation. And then thirdly, I think the category of backslidden is the third uh, group of people that can be referred to here. These are those that really do know Jesus Christ and have turned their back on him for a season, like the prodigal son. This is something, again, I know that this too has become some, tech, some theological argument, but it doesn't need to be because we read in the scriptures over and over again of true believers turning their back on God. We see that for a time because if they're really saved, they'll be back. And so we just want to go help them come back. But I can't help about Abraham, the father of faith who strayed and disobeyed God. Or Moses who served God truly, but also murdered someone. I think, he, I think murder would qualify as straying away, don't you? David did the same thing, committing adultery and murder to cover it up. But was David ever a lost son during that time? He was not. He was a foolish man and a man wrapped up in sin, but one that God dealt with him. And he repented in Psalm 51. Peter in the New Testament, he denied Jesus three times. Not just a denial like, you know, a little, uh, you know, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Like it was a public denial to all that were there. And it happened, we think a denial is like, well, just saying, I don't believe in Jesus three times. But you kind of understand, this was at the deepest moment of need in Jesus' life. He not only abandoned him and ran away from him, but in his time away, he denied him three times. The one that he devoted his entire life to. And did Peter come back? Not only did he come back, but Jesus personally restored him into ministry. Personally. Told him he loved him three times. And then, man, go take care of the sheep, Peter. You blew it, but we're not going to focus on that. Move forward. Step up. And that's the entirety of his life. So in verse 20, it says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul. He who turns a sinner, a brother, a believer, an unbeliever, those that turn people away from their sin is a good thing. I personally believe that if James was here today, he'd probably say, stop trying to figure out who these people are, whether they're saved or not, and just go get them. Go reach out to them. Pray for them. You know, right now, you might be so stirred right, right now to, to move in this way, but you don't know anyone right now that's straying. I believe if you begin to pray for people that are straying, God will reveal to you all kinds of people around you that currently are in your life and your circle of influence that you'll be able to be used in your life to reach and to minister the gospel to. But to set aside the practicality of the Bible to try to argue and figure things out, God is just not going to bless that. He doesn't bless theological arguments while a world is dying and going to hell. Don't misunderstand me. I believe we need to have our theology in order. But sometimes it takes precedent over the love that God wants to show people. And you can hold fast to the foundations that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, he died, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's in the, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And there's no other name under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved, but the name of Jesus Christ. That if you and I, well, not me anymore, but if you die in your sins, 
you will spend a Christless eternity of your own choice and your own doing because God has done everything that he possibly can. He's provided every way available to you and me to be right with him and to come into a whole real relationship with him. You know, that's the real essence. And there's a lot of other things, secondary things that people like to argue about, but while you're arguing, you're not being useful for the kingdom. James is practical. His heart, like the heart of Jesus, is simply to seek and to save which is lost. I heard about a group of herdsmen in the third world country that had no numbering system. Nowhere in their culture was there any kind of numbers or math or anything like that. And the funny thing is, is that they had flocks and they had to keep track of them. So a visitor came one day and asked the, one of the men, how do you keep track of all your animals if you don't count them? And he answered very quickly, the shepherd did, and confidently he said, sir, when they come back at night, I miss their face. See, there was such an intimacy with the sheep that the shepherd knew their face. And when, when you stray, you're not just a number or a statistic. You know, you, we don't sit around at staff meetings and say, oh, you know, we lost another five this week. Oh, well. As a matter of fact, we don't even count. Because that which you count is that which you worry about. And so we don't count. Somebody might ask, how many people attend church on the weekend? I don't know. I don't know. We never, we don't count. We don't, what, what difference does it make? Whoever shows up, we're going to minister to them. And uh, we'll, we want to have room for them. I guess the only difference that makes it, make sure we have room for the people that want to worship God here. But I do, we do notice when people are gone. We do talk about the people we haven't seen in a while. We do talk about what, what's going on in, in the life of our congregation. And, you know, I thought this, this picture was so beautiful because that's how I, that's so much how I relate to our fellowship is by face. And we're not just numbers to the Lord. We're all faces. That's an intimacy. There's a uniqueness about our face. There's a uniqueness about our person that's seen in our face. We express ourselves so often through our face. And to think that God knows us, that he loves us, and that he wants us back. You know, there was a time in this particular fellowship, this church family, where I knew every single person's name, their kids, and even their dog's name for a while. You know, the church was about 30 people in the early days. That's how we gather together. Sometimes 30, sometimes less than 30. Uh, and, and as we continued to grow, though, that changed. That changed. I try to remember names, and I have little tricks that help me to remember names of the people that serve and the people that are here, but, but my memory is so limited that I can't, I can no longer, I can no longer say that I know the name of every single person that worships in this church. But I'm so grateful that God doesn't make that a prerequisite in serving him. I'm so grateful I didn't cross a line and go, oh, I got to give up now. And I got, no, God has done, instead, he's given me a comfort. He's given me a comfort that God knows everyone in his church. He knows you better than even, even if I knew your name and your dog's name, he knows you better than I will ever know you. And he can care for you and does care for you so much better than any pastor or pastor's wife, or fellow believer could ever. Sometimes I think we, take, we put too much pressure on one another for the things that only God wants to do in your life. You know, for example, uh, we were reading recently in our discipleship time as a staff, you know, a book on ministry and grace, and it's really a beautiful book. And, and one of the things that Pat, the, the brother said that he wrote it, he said, this guy came to me and said, you're my last resort. You're my last resort. And if you can't help me with this problem, no one will be able to help me with this problem. And, and he said, I knew right away 
that the brother doesn't really want to solve his problem because he made, his, he made the solving of his problem my responsibility. And it's not my responsibility to solve his problems. And I thought, what a great insight. We can't put pressure on one another to solve each other's issues that only God can solve. And only God can work. And he's promised to work. That by faith, we access the power of God to deal with all the issues in our lives. And I take comfort that there's the power of God among us. And certainly, I'll be a tool in the master's hands in your life. But I'm not the only tool. We have a group of leaders and servants here. We're filled with a church of believers, and that comforts me. And the reality that you're able to know one another, pray for one another as the family of God. And one way that we keep track of each other here in a church that's growing is that you keep track of one another. You know, when you're really greeting someone, you should greet them and remember them and maybe even pray for them. It's not the pastor's job to take, keep track of all this. It's our job as believers in Jesus Christ to connect with one another in the love of God. And if you miss a face, you go, oh, I haven't seen them for a few weeks. It's good to track them down. It's good to check in on them. Because when you're missed, you're missed. And you're loved. And you're needed. You go, oh, yeah, you know, nobody reached out. Yeah, I know, I know, because someone didn't notice you. But you ran away. And so why don't you come back and tell the person next to you, you know, I haven't been here, and we used to sit together for years, and then I've been gone for six weeks, and you didn't reach out to me. And maybe you might find out the gal says, I tried, but the number I had for you is wrong. Here, look, here's the number. And then you look at it and go, oh, there's one number missing in that. And you go, oh, man, I've been trying to reach out to you, but I've been praying for you, and maybe God's answering your prayer. I mean, you never know. You never know how God wants. But, but see how quick how quick, even our own bad decisions, we turn on the very people that God's put in our lives for mutual ministry, to get together, to go together all the way to eternity. Now, one last thing before we head out, and you could take notes on this because it's very important. If we do come in contact with someone that's strayed and they've come back, or we've helped to bring them back into a place of fellowship and relationship with God, what are we supposed to do exactly? How does that work? What are some things, practical things, we can do in the life of a backslider that's returned? Well, number one, we can pray for them. We can pray for them. We should be praying for those that are struggling and straying, asking God to move upon their hearts. Ask God that would speak to them and order things in such a way that they would desire to return. And when they do return, our prayer continues for them. And we ask for that person by name and by face, specifically and persistently, and we encourage them, you know, we pray for them when they return. Number two, when a topic of backsliding, what do we need to do? Number one, pray for them. Number two, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Don't look down on anyone else because they've been trapped by the enemy. Don't get all judgmental on them and don't, don't get on some high, you know, plateau of, well, I can't believe they did that and what are they doing? And hey, look, just watch yourself. Be careful about yourself and your own life. That you're not so, uh, you know, you're not, your observations are not so much on the people that are all messed up right now making bad decisions that you yourself couldn't make those same bad decisions. The body of Christ is not meant to be a hyper-judgmental group of people. 
that has an opinion on every situation and every person, but rather a group of people that understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. We aren't going to expose people. We're not going to shame them. We're not going to manipulate their situation to some kind how control them. That's not the heart of God. His heart is for repentance to be followed by restoration and receiving them back. And the truth is, is that you could stray and I could stray, as we've seen in previous studies. When others fall around us, it should send us to our knees. When someone close to you falls, you should fall too, to your knees. And humble yourself before God, not only brokenhearted over them, but also watchful for you. Watchful in your own life. Lord, I'm so weak. And if it wasn't for your grace and your mercy, where would I be? What would I be into? God, you're faithful. Number three, we're to confront the erring person. What do we do with the backslidden? We're to confront the erring person. This happens to be a place of great failure in the body of Christ, where, you know, somebody strays away, somebody turns their back on the Lord, and what I find in believers is they value personal friendship over and above personal holiness. And, and a real friend tells a friend the truth. Amen? Do you, is there an amen on that? When you don't tell your friend the truth, then what kind of friend really are you? And the erring person needs to be confronted. Don't think of confrontation as something bad and screaming, yelling, pounding, not, nothing like that. You just need to have a face-to-face conversation and say what you're doing isn't right. What you're involved in isn't right. You're, the life that you've chosen now to live isn't right before God. Not my opinion. And, and I miss you. I miss the kind of friendship we used to have in the Lord. And now your compromising ways have made things hard for us. It's made things hard for my, for my family. It's made things hard how I now have to explain to my kids what you're doing. It wasn't like that before. And we need to set aside that which is personal in order to elevate that which is holy and righteous before the Lord. Confrontation isn't a fight. It's simply lovingly approaching the person with the truth. And so what happens, if you don't approach someone with the truth, then you get caught up in gossip. You get caught up in them defending their erring ways. You get caught, and before you know it, they've brought you into the web of their own compromise. And there you are standing there with your mouth closed, but yet you know the truth. Something changed, and it wasn't you. And I don't know how in every situation you would open up that conversation, but you need to. In order to turn a sinner from the error of their ways, you have to be in their life available, ready to be used, and tell them of the error of their ways. And here's how it works. But Ed, if I tell them about the error of their ways, I'll lose a friend. If that's the kind of friendship that you have, you probably don't have a friend to begin with. Because it's not good. You, you and I, you, I wouldn't be a good friend to you, and you certainly wouldn't be a good friend to me if you didn't tell me the truth right? When you have a friend that has something hanging from their nose, what do you do? Some of you go, and they're like, yeah. You know, and they, a good friend's going to say, hey, bro, you got something on your nose, and hand them a tissue. You don't just let them walk around with a hanger. <laughs> because then you find out, you go, dude, why didn't you tell me? I don't know, I was kind of embarrassed. Yeah, well, how do you think I felt, man? <laughs> Well, there's a lot of hangers in the body of Christ today. The Holy Spirit wants to use us, and it's just comforting. It might be a little uncomfortable to do it, but man, the end result's going to be good. Because if you don't tell them, who's going to tell them? We need to confront. Number four, we need to forgive. 
We need to forgive the repentant. This is so important. Don't miss this. When a person comes back, we need to forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. It's too bad we have the reputation, but it's not God's heart to shoot the wounded. We don't kick people while they're down. We accept them in Jesus and help them rebuild what the enemy has tried to destroy. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus loves to rebuild and restore and bring us the goodness of God, brings us to repentance. And number five, we're to speak words of kindness and love to them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is so key because for a backslider and for someone that's caught up in themselves, the enemy of their souls has done such a complete and thorough job of accusing them. And when we stray, we're there, the devil's always there to hurt us even more. You call yourself a Christian. Maybe you were never a believer all along. You don't believe what your parents taught you, and he just beats you up. And I guarantee you they're hearing all sorts of things. I can't go back to church. I don't want to go back. No way. I messed up too bad. I don't even want that kind of life anymore. All and on and this goes. But when they do come back and when they do stick around, we need to encourage them in the Lord. And I would just say, if you have wandered away from Jesus Christ, you are welcome here at Calvary. This can be the stepping point for you returning to the Lord. That it's not returning to church, but this fellowship family can be a stepping point for you to come back in humble repentance. We want you to be received here and loved here and encouraged here. Oh, we don't approve of the sin in your life, but we recognize that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need to come humbly before God. And we all need to live righteous, humble lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't stand in hyper-judgmental, you know, hypercritical judgment, judgment on you. So that when we do talk to you about the difficulties in your life, we're not being judgy, man. We're telling you this is the way out. This is the way of rescue. That's the heart of this church. And I pray it will always be the heart of this church. We just ask that God would help us in order to be loving and caring for those that have wandered away. That the end result of backsliding should be returning to the Lord, coming back, just like the son that left his dad. He's sitting there contemplating everything that's going on in his life. And he comes to the conclusion, man, I have made a big mistake. I need to go home. And fortunately, his dad, a representative in that parable of the father, our heavenly father, had such a deep, reflective, loving relationship with his son that he knew that he could go home, that even if he went home and was his dad's servant, It'd be better than his backsliding ways. And isn't it true, those of you that are backsliding, your marriage is a wreck and you just won't give up. You're so stubborn. It's always someone else's fault. And yeah, it's not that you don't love God, but man, you sure aren't enjoying him. Just sitting there at the pig slop. And, and there you are. You're, you know, you know, you're, it's not like you're not in church anymore, although sometimes you do stray away. But, but man, your marriage, your life, there's no joy. There's no, and no wonder you're thinking that Christianity and a life with Jesus isn't, isn't worth it. It's because you're not living to the fullness of surrender in Him. And you will just be miserable. Remember, backsliding always equals misery. And it's not God's fault you're miserable right now. It's your fault. And if you will humble yourself before God and repent of your sins, He'll receive you back and begin to relieve you of the misery that you've been living in, replacing it with joy. Even David got there, you know. David asked to have this joy of 
God's salvation be restored to him. And that's his heart for anyone that's strayed away. We've been in the book of Hebrews today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear us through Apple Podcasts. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. You'll find Abounding Grace right there as well as many other helpful resources. Where in the world did that come from? Maybe that's crossed your mind when you've had a nasty thought. And sometimes our thoughts are out of control along with our lives. But I'm happy to say there is a way to win the war in your mind. Craig Groeschel lays out the strategy in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. Drawing from Scripture and the latest findings of brain science, Craig presents practical strategies that will help free you from the grip of harmful and destructive thinking and go on to live the life God intends for you to live. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And please set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the book of Hebrews to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.